0: Uh, uh, helpful and all of those things, and even if you got a good rental car or whatever the case is, you know, you get to, to brag on those people or you can kind of uh, tell what they didn't do good as well, but you get to find out about where you're going anyway. So that is the nature of what I am teaching, not on hotels and restaurants and cars and things like that, but I'm talking about <clears throat> different trips in the Bible, people who took trips and uh, we, we, we've talked about several already. We talked about Joshua going into the promised land. And, 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 and we talked about the exodus and, and whatnot. And tonight we're going to continue. We're going to talk about um, Nehemiah. Have have heard of Nehemiah? All right. How many of you like a good road trip? Anybody? Yeah. You like a good road trip? We took a road trip last week. Motorcycles. Went to the Gloss Mountains. Anybody been there? Hey, glossy? Gl- they're glossy. Okay, I can't. But anyway, had a great time. But anyway, <coughs> I remember road trips as a kid. You know, we did two trips to California, did a trip to Florida, did tr- several trips down to Houston, to New Mexico, to Carlsbad Caverns, you know. And I remember, you know, a lot of times you remember the things that happened that are negative on your road trips more than you do the positive things. Like one of our trips down to Mexico, going to Laredo, Texas, we got south of Fort Worth in our new Lincoln Continental vapor lot. Have you ever had a car do that? The gas starts turning to vapor, I think, and it just won't burn, and your car won't run that way. So we had to stop about every 10 miles, let the car cool down, and the gas return to its state of liquid, and we could travel on. And uh, that was the most memorable thing that happened on that trip. Okay, so, you know, sometimes the trips are through the negative. But I love a good road trip. Nehemiah, he took a road trip, okay? And he didn't have the most pleasant experience on his road trip. His stops were filled with confusion, with bickering. People even turned against him and tried to come at him. But Nehemiah gets the news that Jerusalem has been destroyed. The walls of the city have been torn down. Fire has raised the entire city, and Nehemiah goes into grief. This is his nation, and these are his people. Okay, and now I'm gonna get just jump right into it. Number one, bad things happen. It just happened. Nehemiah one, one through three says this the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month of Chislu, in the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came. He and and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. This had to be a a huge shock to Nehemiah. Most Bible scholars say that Hanani was probably Nehemiah's biological brother had come and given him this news. Jerusalem in that day was a great and a powerful city. The problem with Jerusalem was that they didn't really bow down to the other kingdoms that surrounded them. And the kingdoms surrounding them gathered together each of the leaders and decided they were going to take Israel out. Take Jerusalem out and they did. One of the sad realities that I see today is that bad things happen to people and many times for no real good reason. People who think they're never going to face troubles on this earth, they're living in a bubble. You know, I want to be a follower of Jesus who doesn't live in that bubble. I want to be aware that tough things happen, and they're going to happen to me. I don't relish that fact, but it's the truth. People who think that we're never going to face troubles are just living in this bubbles. But I want to be prepared for those things. As pastor, I've heard this question, I want to say dozens of times, to not exaggerate, but the truth is it's probably hundreds of times. Why would God... Allow that to happen? You've heard the question yourself. You don't have to be a pastor to hear that. Why would God allow that to happen? Well, here's my profound answer to that I don't know. Some people are in situations right now where you're asking God, Why now? Will this situation ever change, Lord? Will I always be sick? Will I ever get a job? Why can't we just all get along? And these are valid and very big, real questions. But there are always going to be these things that come into our lives that are going to challenge all of us. But don't lose up. God wants to help us through those health trials, those financial problems, those relational changes. We're all going to face them. And number two, and you need to ask yourself this question tonight. Do I have a tender heart? If you already have the answer to that question, and the answer is no, you really need to be listening. Nehemiah has a really tender heart toward the Jews who are suffering. Nehemiah 1 and 4 says, And it came to pass when I heard these words, and this is Nehemiah talking, When it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept. When's the last time you sat down and wept over another person's problem? He sat down and wept and he mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. He weeps for days. He doesn't eat and he prays. Nobody knows how long this lasted. But he's moved greatly by the Jews' pain and suffering. Do we ever take time to have compassion like this in our society? Today, we hear crises about every country through the news media, television, newspapers, Internet. When we hear the news of an earthquake, a tornado, a tsunami, a volcano, it's easy to simply say, you know, I hate that. What's for dinner? Now I'm glad that's not me. What are we going to do next? We're inundated with news like that. It's sad, but we're not driven to tears or fasting anymore, are we? The people in the big island of Hawaii. Their homes are being destroyed. Their ways to work are being cut off by the volcano lava that's running over all their highways there. It's changing their way of life. Do we cry? Do we weep? Do we mourn? These are people of our nation. Wouldn't it be amazing when we heard the news of a catastrophe around the world? that we took it to heart and we did something about it. I was impressed when I heard that the the people in the U.S. were protesting the fact that the little children being separated from their parents at the borders when they were crossing illegally. I'm not making a political statement, and I could, and there's some reasons that maybe it was all their fault anyway, okay? Nevertheless. I was impressed that people who weren't necessarily like-minded came together in protest to put these children back. And I don't think all of them were simply making a political statement. I think they felt compassion for these kids. They were hurting in their hearts. That impressed me somewhat. The protests were effective. And I'm Once again, not making a political statement, but I think it's amazing in our day that people feel something in their heart and took time to act. Do you have a tender heart? How can I keep a tender heart? You know, if you have one, make it more tender. If you don't have one, you need to find a tender heart toward humanity. Here's how you keep a tender heart. Number one, listen more carefully to the struggles of other people. People are telling you about their difficulties and things. You don't pat them on the shoulder and say, Well, you get better and move on with your life. You know, it's the difference between hearing and listening, being moved with compassion toward their difficulty. Maybe we just need to hear out the person's story. And in my position, I get to do some counseling. And I'm not a great counselor. I don't even pretend to be. But God's given me some gifts in being able to help people. But the most important thing for me is not being able to share with wisdom what to do in the situation. The most important thing for me to do is have a listening ear. They don't necessarily need my advice, usually they know what to do already, but they want to be heard. They want somebody to feel what they're going through. What else can I do to have a tender heart? How about pray and fast? Just pray and fast. I, I have this book that I open up, and every month, I, it's got lists every nation in the world. It talks about their population. It talks about what their national religion is. It talks about all kinds of things in this nation. It gives lots of demographic details. But I can pick a nation, and I can begin to pray and fast some for that country every month. Pick a different one every month. You don't have to necessarily uh, have my book. You can Google every nation on the planet. And that might be even more effective because it will tell you today what's going on in that nation. You want to have a compassionate heart? Fast and pray for people that you don't even know. What's the next thing you can do? Give to missions. I heard of a church recently they have a one-day offering. You say, what do you mean one-day offering? What they do is they ask everybody in the church to figure up what they make on their job one day. And they receive that offering on a particular day, and everybody, hopefully hopefully 100% of them participate, they've given that offering, and that offering is taken and given to a convoy of hope. You know what convoy of hope is? Convoy of hope it's a humanitarian effort by the assemblies of God to help in times of calamity. Tornado in Joplin, you drive up there, one of the first trucks you saw was Convoy of Hope. When you go to the hurricanes, in, uh, when they hit in Florida or along the coast, wherever that first thing there, Convoy of Hope. And they take that offering and they give it to Convoy of Hope, and every time a calamity occurs and they see their trucks on the national news, they go, we're a part of that. We're already there. But giving to missions, that's a part of your compassion, a part of your love. Pray and fast. Give to missions. Listen to people's story. Number three, confession is good for the soul. Nehemiah is going to take a position that we can look at his prayer. In this passage of Scripture, Nehemiah 1 5 through 7, and it says, and, and said I, Beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God, that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants. And confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, nor thou commandments, thy servant Moses, which commandest thy servant Moses. Nehemiah is declaring that he knows who God is. He's not talking about they and their sin when he is confessing sin. He is saying we. He's including himself. He's praying for Jerusalem. He's praying for a city that he doesn't even live in. But he's praying, Lord, forgive us of our transgressions. How real is that? When he steps up, and he's not even involved down there, but he's confessing his own sin. Lord, purify my heart. Purify my life. Purify all of our lives because we have messed up. We have missed Moses' commandments. You know, it's even hard to get people to say sorry for the smallest of things in their lives. It's hard to get people to be introspective, to let God work on those things that have become hardened in their hearts. But here he is. Crying to God in order to have a clean heart. And he seems to be truly sorry for the things that don't honor God in his life. He's saying sorry for himself. He's saying sorry for the other people. He's saying sorry for everybody. I wonder how effective it would be if I wronged my daughter Taylor. I made a horrible mistake and I messed up and I have offended my daughter Taylor. But I would go to my wife, Dana, and I'd say, "Dana, would you go tell Taylor that I'm sorry?" Or John, Jim, if you did something to Kim, you you go to Emma and say, "Emma, go tell Mom I'm sorry." Just doesn't mean a lot, does it? Well, that's where Nehemiah is here. You know, <laughs> he can't say he's really sorry for those people's sins, so he includes himself. He said, Lord, we're sorry for our sins. Maybe you have some things that you need to confess to God. Do you always know when you're in right standing with God? If you ask me that question... Scott, do you know if you're in right standing with God? I can usually say yes. But I'll confess to you, there are times that I get busy, and I'm sure my heart gets callous toward God, and I don't really pay attention to where my heart is. Those are the times that I need to come to God and say, Lord, clean my heart out. Soften me in those places that become hardened. Make it clean. And I want to encourage you today to go to God, confess to Him, and ask Him to clean up the areas of your life that need to be cleaned up today. Number four, consequences are real. Did you know that every decision that you make in your life has a consequence? Every one of them. But when we start thinking about consequences, we usually go to the negative consequences, don't we? Oh no, I'm gonna get in trouble. God's really ticked off in me. But folks, consequences can be good. You can work hard during a week and you can get a check for your work. Those are the consequences of your hard work. Nehemiah 1:8 through 11 says, Remember, I beseech thee, ye, or thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations, but if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of heaven, yet I will gather them from thence and bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by the great power and by the strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attended to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee. Thy servant this day and grant him mercy in the sight of man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Here's the good news. No matter how far you've traveled off the plan that God has for your life, you can come back and He will put you back on the right track. You can finish your life in the plan of God that He has for you if you'll just come back to Him with a softened heart and say, Lord, just clean me up. Set me on your way. (coughs) Number five, Nehemiah prayed for favor. He knows the consequences of not obeying God. He asked God for favor with the king, the king, Nehemiah 1 and 11. Oh Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attended to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant, this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer once again. He is praying, Lord, please let the king like me. And I wonder what it would be like Instead of God's people asking for stuff all the time, then they would simply change their focus and change their words in prayer and say, Lord, I don't want just stuff. That's not what I'm looking for, Lord. I'm just asking you to give me favor everywhere that I go. Give me favor in heaven. Give me favor with men. Give me favor in my business opportunities. Give me favor in my family situation. Give me favor in everything that I do, not just give me stuff. Nehemiah would end up going before the king and asking permission to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Can you imagine? This Jew, whom all these other kingdoms really hated, I'm not saying just that Jew, but the Jews, they hated. A Jew's coming before him, and he's saying, Can I rebuild the city? Can I rebuild the walls? I can imagine the king scratching his head and saying, You know, you guys didn't do very well with the authority that you had before, and you're wanting me to allow you to lead a group of people to rebuild that city that seems to come against us all the time? But you know something? God's favor is greater than one man's opinion. God's favor is greater than one man's opinion. And when you start asking for favor, God can come down and begin to soften the hearts of the people that are opposing you. What am I learning from this passage in Nehemiah? Let's take away from here today, I want to learn to care for others. Apparently, Nehemiah made a decision that he wouldn't just live for himself. He was brokenhearted for somebody else's pain. Folks, I don't know about you, but that's refreshing to me. It wasn't all about him. Wouldn't it be great if we lived in a world that it wasn't all about me? Me, 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 me. Wouldn't it be refreshing if there would be people that would be more concerned about brothers and sisters than themselves? I hear people saying all the time, I'm getting ahead of myself, number two, be proactive about what you can do. I hear people say all the time, if I were president, or if I had the money, or if I were in that position, I would do this. I would do that. Well, there's a good possibility that none of us in here are ever going to be the president. Good possibility. Maybe a greater possibility, but maybe not. That we'll never have the money to have that influence. Maybe we'll never be in that position to do those things that we say we're going to do. The question that we should really ask ourselves is this: What can I do? Three words. Not if I were this, I'd do that. If I had this, I would do that. If I'm in this position, I'd do that. We just need to be asking ourselves these, this question. What can I do? And I messed up. It's not three words, it's four words. What can I do? And by the way, that's all that's expected. You're not being asked to do anything more than you can do. (coughs) But sometimes we just got to know what it is. What can I do? That's all expected. You can't do more than you can do. Next thing that we need to learn or take away is we learn from Nehemiah to respect authority, even when we disagree. That's hard for me. I don't know about you. Respect authority even when we disagree. I think that's what's troubling me and our nation today. There are political figures that I just did not disagree with at all. But I had a real problem respecting them. That was my trouble. I think that's going on everywhere today, but I believe God's calling us, even though we disagree, don't like what they're doing, that we still take the position of respect. The amens are deafening. Forgive me, Lord, when I haven't, honored when I should have. Help me honor when I disagree. Doesn't mean you changed your mind, but we still honor. And next, we have to trust God's timing. Nehemiah did not know what was going to happen to him when he went to the king. He could have very well been arrested and incarcerated for a long period of time. He didn't know he was going to be used by God. He didn't know what was going to happen to him. He put it in God's hand. And that's the most difficult part in our story. All of us. Taking what we have. Taking the opportunity. Taking the difficulty and saying, Lord, here. It's in your hand. And that's where some of us are in our lives right now. God, I'm going to trust you, but where are you? He hasn't spoken what he's going to do yet. He's not told you that he's got it all figured out in the path and the plan that he's going to take you through in all this. But you say, Lord, here it is. Now I trust you. And let's go back to that faith scripture, Hebrews 11 and 1. Okay? And I'm going to read it to you in the King James, and then we're going to read it in the New International Version. Here's the King James. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, but the evidence of things not seen. Wow, that's powerful. Now, let's bring it in more plain English here. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is a confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That's faith. What are you using your faith for? Your situation? The difficulties, the troubles, the problems? How are you counseling others that are getting through these things? Are you telling them, have faith? but helping them understand that it's the sure assurance of what they hope for and the confidence that the things that they're hoping for is going to be seen one of these days. Stand with me.